Hey guys, thank you for tuning in for another episode with me and Petey at the COVID special here. Thank you guys for listening. Those that are new, welcome. This is a COVID special from the Cup of Nurses podcast that we try to produce once a week. And those that are coming back and listening, thank you guys for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. And we're excited to announce that in the near future, we have a lot of cool things coming out. This will be live streamed. We have the NCLEX guy that's coming in the next like two weeks or so. We have some merch. We have a bunch of little things that me and Peter have been quietly working on, right? How you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. It's getting kind of late. I'll be a little tired, but I'm so happy about the standing desk, though, man. Like, ever since I've been, like, recording podcasting standing up, so much better. Highly recommend one, man. You should create a, you should create a um, standing desk for yourself. Put a bunch of books and put your monitor out recording stuff on top of the books. And just stand. I, I bet. Has it helped your lower back? Because I feel like at work I sit a lot, too, usually, and sitting you know while i'm doing this it kind of does put a strain on your lower back have you noticed a significant better back now in a way uh better back i mean my back feels fine it's just like we're comfortable i think i in general i think i prefer to stand that, that's just sit like even when i like watch tv sometimes i would just like walk around or something actually not not very often but sometimes, uh, I, I, sometimes i prefer sometimes i want to stand you know instead of sitting because if you sit a long time like on a computer you're just sitting all day compared to this i can really stand for a little bit Maybe the question I wanted to ask you is your ass tight and is it less tight now? Because sometimes, you know, like your lower back, your glutes and everything, like it's just, you feel stiff from sitting so much. No, it feels good. Like I definitely get that at work. If I sit for a long time, my, I do get kind of stiff, like my hand shrinks and then my lower back does sometimes, but like, as long as you want to stand, you should, you should know how that feels, you know? I'll incorporate it, man. I have a standing desk here, but right now I have to sit because I don't think the camera is going to reach so let's bounce into some COVID, some stats. Let's do it. So, always, so we got the stats for you guys. Should I do the stats this time? I feel like you've been always doing it. I don't know if you want to hand over I'll, that right I'll, to I'll me. I'll, I'll, maybe next time. Respect, respect, bro. Hit the stats. It makes me makes me keep track of my my number pronunciation and just like numbers in general. You know, like we got some big numbers going on. I I, I like these numbers because I imagine I'll have this kind of much amount of money in the future. You know, so I got the numbers. All right, guys. So for the stats, worldwide cases, we have a little bit over 5.5 million, resulting in a little over 3,500,000 deaths. In the U.S. alone, we're reaching almost 2 million cases and a little bit over 100K deaths. The highest impacted states, still about the same, not much change in these past couple weeks. New York's number one with a little bit over 370K. They've got New Jersey with almost 200. Illinois is third place, like 120K. California is reaching 100K. So yeah, still very prevalent around here. Still a lot of deaths going on. And we just see these still these top five states that just kind of, this is where it's been hanging out the past couple weeks. I mean, New York is is the hub just because it's literally people, we're living on top of people. A lot of skyscrapers there. A lot of people in, in small areas. Same with China. You know, China has a lot of people in small areas too. And look how the virus affected them. So New York's saying, having the same situation, man. You are right. I'm surprised Illinois is still kind of like in third and it kind of sucks because I'm coming back in the next couple of weeks and still everything will be closed, unfortunately, with, you know, the handling. And it's kind of funny how Trump mentioned the whole, you know, the, he kind of shouted out the government, the, the governor, he's doing a bad job. So hopefully he steps it up, man. Yeah, I think you're supposed to slowly open up end of May here. So uh, hopefully soon, maybe by the end of June, I think should be hopefully to a, you know, a new normal, but a more... Um, liberal normal, I guess you could say, but 
I think they're going to do 50% capacity at NMA in restaurants. So we'll see what restaurants open up because like in California, they have strict guidelines on how to reopen places and how to sanitize things properly. But you gotta understand that these small like stores, mom and pop shops, these small hardware stores, small restaurants, like they're not trained into like these big sanitation protocols. And that's gonna be not only a giant cost, but like a giant learning curve for them. So they might not be able to adapt it in time to open up to kind of regain those sales. And so that might just stay permanently closed because it might just be too much of a, of a financial burden to sanitize the amount of times they will need to sanitize and just having not 100% capacity. Like some of these restaurants, they rely on having a capacity of like 90 to 100%. And that's how they, they make revenue. Some of these places aren't going to be able to handle 50, 50% revenue. Like it's going to be, you're going to see a lot of places closed and a lot of places like the, the brink of disaster almost. I mean, yeah, dude, straight business. Like, for example, I was talking to um, one of my friends that owns a restaurant and he said during the whole COVID pandemic, you know, he was 70% down on his business when it comes to, you know, income. Luckily, he have has curbside and pickup and maybe he's down 30%. But like these businesses that close down that are not essentially food or they are food, like uh, food restaurants, how can they operate at 25 to 50% capacity? Like they're not going to meet their needs to operate the business. And that's the stuff that I've been talking about for the past, maybe a couple episodes is small businesses are going to take a damn hit, man. And he even told me that there's a lot of restaurants that are closing, you know, closing in Chicago. Yeah. It's going to be sad. Like there's probably some like places that have been around for years that are going to have to, you know, close and you're going to find some people are going to find somewhere else to go. And like, people are always going to find a place to go. You know, that's not the issue, but it's just sad that, you know, these stores are going to have to, go bankrupt or just not open. I would love to, you know, bouncing into the COVID episode. I wonder like, when did the word pandemic change? Just like we were talking about prior to the show. And, you know, how does COVID-19 compare to other pandemics? And we're going to talk about the H1N1 in uh, 2009, how it lasted from January 09 to August 2010. And the studies were saying that estimated what 700 million to 1.4 billion. So yeah, cases like there's plus asymptomatic because this was an 09. So we didn't do as drastic tracing as we did now. We didn't keep tabs as heavily as we do now on COVID. But like some of the studies were saying that about 700 million to 1.4 billion people actually got it. It's like, those are also including asymptomatic people. You know, it's just like an estimate, but like the deaths compared to how much death we have now, I, it's, I mean, according to numbers, uh, the World Health Organization reported that swine flu deaths were 18,449, you know, so it's not anything, um, like compared to what we have now, you know what I'm saying? And it's well, like, but those are just not estimates. Like some estimates are saying that 284,000 died. So there's like a, still a, a big kind of, kind of gap because like, even how the numbers are kind of skewed now, like how they're pushing more towards COVID deaths, even though it might not have actually how the cause of death might have actually been COVID, it might have been a contributor, but not necessarily the cause of somebody dying, but they still list as a COVID death, you know? So it's, I feel like we're more on top of it now than we're with, with the swine flu. And I feel like we're more numbers driven and more like anal about figuring out where COVID is than we were about H1N1. You are right. And it's interesting because we talked about this, like doctors are getting pushed to consider, or they're getting pressure to consider to cause of death being COVID, right? And then you have, you know, Medicare that's paying more 
if you have a COVID positive patient more if they're on a ventilator. So there's a huge conflict of interest here. And now we're hyperinflating the deaths. And you said how we're anal about numbers. And, you know, it's hard to say how bad is this compared to H1N1 because of the lack of tracking for that virus. We just kind of like we didn't consider such a big hype. Now there's such a hype that we're so anal about numbers and we're, we're seeing large numbers of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But like the main difference between like spine flu and, and, and this flu is like the spine flu didn't just affect people with that. We're not saying COVID just affected with our over 70, but H1N1 or spine flu, it was kind of spread upon age groups. Like it wasn't just one age group that was affected the most, but it was more of like a broad age group. You know, it could have been a kid. You could have been a teenager, an adult in your thirties. You could have been in your seventies. It, it kind of affected, affected you uh, just like about the same, depending on your age, compared to coronavirus, where if you're 70 plus, you're, you're probably going to get hit hard the hardest compared to all the other age groups. Your highest likelihood of dying with, age, with uh, COVID is if you're above 70. You know, you know, it's interesting correlation as well, since we're talking about numbers. So we know that both H1N1 and both COVID, like the largest risk factors are unhealthy individuals with the high BMI. So being obese and respiratory diseases, right? And it's funny how it's not, not, not funny at all. Sorry. How we're looking at the curve of hypertension is increasing in America. Diabetes is increasing in America. Everything that we talk about, the numbers are predicting to have higher cases of those diseases and also undiagnosed cases like diabetes is very undiagnosed, right? So it's interesting how we're having more numbers. Maybe we're just becoming more of an unhealthy population and America's really taken the hit because we've had the highest obesity, you know, percentages for the longest. And that's a huge risk factor, you know, not saying that obesity is the main cause, but it definitely could help with the increase of cases and deaths. Most definitely. Yeah. Like if you're a healthy individual, like, the risk for you dying of like these these pandemics or different illnesses is drastically lower than somebody unhealthy. That's just your less risk for autoimmune issues, less risk for any kind of issues. You just gotta be at your optimum for like as long as possible. You can say because like we eventually gonna reach a certain age where working out and heavy heavy lifting is not gonna be as beneficial for us as it is now. You know, but you still gotta stay healthy no matter what your what your age is. Like your the way you fight off infections is by you know being helped like is that simple but yeah it's so complicated you know but the interesting thing that i learned when i was looking up the h1n1 is like right now during the covid epidemic everyone's hype about about antivirals about vaccines but with the with the swine flu with the h1n1 it took them about i think it's like 10 months to 10 months to a year to find the vaccine then they according to what i read online is they found the vaccine in january so about a like no, sorry, they found in November. So COVID, not COVID, but swine flu started in 2009, January, and they found a vaccine by November. So almost a year, you know, 10 months. So, I, you know, we could probably look at maybe a COVID vaccine, you know, in the next year. That's really possible because H1N1 is, was a variation of a, of a different kind of flu, you know. So same with COVID is a different kind of variation of, of a different virus, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because Moderna, the, that pharmaceutical company that, you know, Fauci had the biggest promise of creating a vaccine, they estimated 12 to 18 months. And other pharmaceutical companies are saying it's that's way too aggressive. So it's, it's pretty impressive how they find it so quick. But this is also, you know, different strain and all this other stuff that who knows. Uh, well, I don't want to get that's super aggressive if they found one with a 10 month with a swine flu you know it's, you can't say 12 to 18 is, is, is super aggressive it's really not that aggressive because it's been done in the past it could be it could be hard but not super aggressive 
you know. Yeah, you would think that they have better technology now and we have CRISPR and, you know, genetically sequencing that we could figure things out. But that's out of our, that's out of our pay grade, man. Imagine having a virologist on the show and just dive deep into this stuff, damn. That'd be cool. It's, it would probably be, I probably wouldn't even understand it. You know, you, you gotta, have to like, um, you like five to us. So, so you know how like some people have like a built-in mechanism if they're not like understanding the person they like laugh or just say something or just be kind of like nodding our head and smiling during the show we'll just let them keep talking like yeah. thank you thank you for being on we understood as much as we can we'll probably listen to this three four more times and hopefully understand to have you back on the show there you go yeah exactly I'll have back on the show so then we could, we could compare notes make sure we understood it correctly yeah, the first time yeah that'd be something uh, we we did some research that shows a different interesting chain of events, right, with H1N1 and mm-hmm. conflict of interests. So, do you want to bounce uh, points here? Yeah, sure. I mean, you guys know how me and Matt like our conspiracies a little bit. We even did a conspiracy COVID nineteen episode. So, you know, this is I mean, this actually what I read right here is on Wikipedia. Like, I don't know Wikipedia. So, when we were younger, we were never allowed to use Wikipedia, right? You are right. It wasn't a credible yeah. source. It was not a credible source, but isn't it actually like a really credible source? Because, you know, you could like you could change it, but you have to be a professional to be able to change it because people are going to fact check you. Yep. You can't just put bullshit because people use Wikipedia as like an entry to put their knowledge and their understanding of things and kind of what they found out in their research. And like people are on top of it. So if you put something wrong, that's incorrect, people are going to jump on that and they'll either delete it or they'll... They'll say no, that's wrong. Like they'll call you out, and like it's gonna get changed to, to the correct answer. Like majority of the things that I found on Wikipedia turn out to be true, right? Like even, even when you're a little kid, you are right. And it's interesting how they tell you, "Hey, that's bad," and use these textbooks. Well, who knows who these textbooks are? You know, written by and blah blah blah. Right. I, I, yeah, Wikipedia is credible, and of course, just like we always say, take everything that we say with a grain of sort, uh, salt. Don't believe us. Take the information and go actually go research things. You know be as curious as we are trying to craft this show and give you information and you'll, you know, just like the news, don't just listen to everything. And, you know, that's the thing with Facebook, man. Like right now it's what's happening with the whole, you know, the cop situation, Minnesota protests. It's like, there's always a perception and whatever you see on your newsfeed, like the power of sharing and the power of social media is so powerful. We see things in front of us that everybody's seeing and it's skewing a perception. And it's like, Take, take unplug and go do your research. So let's begin, right? There you go. Okay, guys, I'm not gonna read this whole slew of information. So I'll just keep this short. The story short and sweet. There's basically a guy named Wolfgang Woodarge. He's a so German physician that currently he's on the Council of Europe. It's like a health committee in Europe. He's on the chair for that. But back then he was a physician, and he disclosed that the World Health Organization that was considering the swine flu epidemic and recommended all these vaccines and antivirals was actually in collaboration with pharmaceutical and vaccine companies. So they had, like several times, there's a conflict of interest. So the World Health Organization was labeling a pandemic to help these industries and companies sell more medication, give out more vaccines for, for basically for, for profits, you know, and that's, you know, that's completely unethical. And like, if it's on Wikipedia and, you know, if multiple people think this is what happened, you know, this might not, might happen to a full extent, like H1 I one still would have been serious and if we did nothing about it, it would have ended badly. But this kind of shows us that maybe there's a different kind of agenda going on on the side. It might not be the full scope agenda, but there is some profit taking on the side because there's always some profit taking no matter what the situation is, right, Matt? Of course, just like, you know, um, Bill Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, the stuff that we talked about, China, like 
even to the point of censorship, right? Like YouTube and Google are removing uh, COVID uh, takes, clips, news, everything, if it doesn't meet the standards of World Health Organization. So that's crazy that we have this governing body, right, that's in charge of attaining people's highest possible level of health. That's like their, their uh, you know, motto. And what if, what if there's a conflict of interest, you know? There, there could very could be, and it's sad because we are looking up to these bodies for everything, right? Right now, because of COVID, they are top priority, right? We're listening to them, everything that's that they say the United States is doing. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy because China, you know, created a lockdown, became successful, and World Health Organization said, yes, we have to do exactly what China is doing, right? And then you heard how, you know, Trump stopped funding the WHO because China has a conflict of interest. So all of a sudden, you know, WHO gave orders, you know, to what America should do for the crisis and pandemic while there's a conflict of interest with China. And as you as you start hearing, China's up to no freaking good, man. Like the, we keep bringing them up because they're such a key player now because United States finally has somebody that has the same amount of freaking guns as United States in a way. You know, they're they're head to head right now. And and America never had a matched potential in the world. And they've been the global police state, right? And now China's stepping in and now there's conflict of interest. And now we have to be careful of what source of information we believe. Yeah, that's that's crazy, right? It, it's just I'm, I'm just I'm just like I'm listening to myself talking, and this is just mind blowing, man. It's you know, like you're never taught about this in school, and like what happens, and now you know we're we're just becoming smart and educational, we're researching it, just like wow, bro. There's just so much different strings that are being pulled. Like we have no idea what's happening. Yeah, if if we yeah. we very could have a couple documentaries in like three years saying COVID was the biggest scandal, you never know, you know. But why though? And we have to finish. Know. We have to finish the H1N1 points with um, the who here. Sorry, I'm getting off topic. I mean, yeah, just just play devil advocate. We could also have documentary saying that that what we did wrong with coronavirus, and it, you never know. What if next year there's like three million deaths? You know, what if we completely overlook this and we underblew it? Even though a lot of us think this is overblown, what if we underblew it and then in the next couple of years it's just like deaths upon deaths? You know, so. No, we'll, we won't know until this whole thing passes and, you know, we hear this in, in the history books. When we see each other or when we see this in Wikipedia, when we're 40, 50 years old, then we'll find out the truth. You know, yeah, you a lot of people right. are, people have already forgotten it. You know, it's usually how shit happens. Or usually yeah. the CIA releases some files 80 years down the line of what exactly happened. Yeah. So maybe, you know, before deathbeds, you know, my son will be holding my hand and he's going to be like, I'm just going to be like, I just want to know what happened during COVID. <laughs> when is the CIA going to release the files, man? It's, it's mind-blowing. Like, look at Kennedy. Like, Kennedy's files were supposed to get released still, and Trump signed an executive executive order not to release the files of Kennedy because of something that might, uh, like, blow up the United States about this. Yeah, because I think it's how it works with that. that is it's either X amount of years, you can release this amount of information, and then in this much years, you can release more, and then once everybody else associated with it dies off then you can release the full thing because they don't want to like you know screw people's lives that took part in it you know wow and they don't want what is that crazy how that works yeah life's life's interesting man once you're opening yourself up to this it's just like damn so back to like the you know fact check here so then we have in uh 2010 of the so this is basically over a year after h1n1 right um kei fukanana or Fuk, 
Fukuda, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, man. He's a WHO top influenza expert stated that the system leading to the declaration of pandemic led to the confusion about the H1N1 circulating around the world. And he expressed concerns that there was a failure to communicate in regards to the uncertainties about the new virus. So it turns out that it was not deadly as it was feared to be portrayed. And, you know, why was there so much fear being put in place and why was, you know, the who pushing that? And then what's the journal in 2010 that um, that an uh, editor in chief like published or something? So basically that it was saying, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but basically some journal agency found out that um, some of the advisors um, that were advising the World Health Organization, they were on boards of different you know, pharmaceutical companies that they were advising them on how to, or what steps to take with H1N1. So that just shows that there was a conflict of interest. And when this like Fiona, or she was the editor-in-chief, Fiona Godley, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And then the other lady on the World Health Organization, that was Margaret Chan. She was the one that was getting accused of like working with these different pharmaceutical companies. And she actually said that, you know, she didn't deny the facts. She, she just kind of passed over that question and just stated that whatever the World Health Organization did was probably the, the right thing to do. You know, yeah. she, she never really said that, yes, they were being advised by pharmaceutical companies. And she didn't really say no, that they weren't being advised by, by pharmaceutical companies. So she just kind of skipped over that question. So and who knows? Th those that are listening and they're like, Oh my God, like this probably would never happen. Like, let's use different examples of, you know, pharmaceutical companies. And one of them was that back in the day, pharmaceutical companies could have bought doctors a lot of things, right? One of them is a statin industry, um, like Lipitor, bro. That company is a, I don't know how many billion dollar company a year, but how much people were going into doctor offices basically saying, Hey, why patients should get this drug? They're giving out free samples. And there there's, paper trails that, you know, you hear on TV, you hear every, everywhere that doctors are taking on, on banquets and pharmaceutical companies are buying them dinners and A, B, and C before legislations got passed and they stopped those kind of things. So if, and look at like cigarette companies back in the day, like there was doctors back in the day on TV saying cigarettes are good. You should smoke. Like yeah. even it, now, dude, like the label on the thing they're selling you, it says that, Hey, it can kill you. It can cause cancer and yet you could still buy them even though the company itself is labeling their products as bad for you like if you don't think there's any kind of money going on behind the door or any kind of other collaboration or some, something going on then you know, that's just being a little ignorant because how how are cigarettes even being allowed to be sold in stores if everyone knows they're bad for you and everyone says they're bad for you but yeah they're still being they're being sold and bought I'm look at during COVID, bro. Well, how come liquor yeah. stores are open? How come liquor stores didn't have to close on during COVID? Like for, for one, that's probably going to help the hospitals because there's gonna be a lot of patients withdrawing, but it just shows you a conflict of interest and it's just this liquid poison that people could consume. Yeah. And, and right. And you couldn't, you couldn't have AA meetings because that was against the COVID restriction. You couldn't go to church because that was against COVID restriction, but you could get slammed on a Tuesday afternoon because you're in another room because you're laid off from work, you know? Yeah, that is, that's some shit. And, you know, like you hear um, different podcasters talk about it too. Like, this is just weird. And I feel like, I feel like this is why there's such a high influx of people going to the beach and not social distancing is because they just don't give a fuck anymore. They're so tired of the shit. They're tired of sitting in a home for three months, listening to the TV people, give them no damn solid information. Like it was just a shit show basically on TV. Like I, the people that listen through it, God bless you. I'm, Thank God I'm working and I'm doing things and I didn't like have to hear all that. 
Yeah, but people that you see that are social distancing, people that aren't going out, there are people that are, that are younger, 30s, 20s, that age. Why? Because they don't see a lot of their friends die. You know, that's definitely not what a seven-year-old is going to do. Why? Because I'm sure a seven-year-old knows someone that died of COVID-19. You know, it's completely different. It's a lot easier for me to go outside when nobody that I personally know has died of this disease. It'd be completely different if, if I had one or two friends that died of this disease. That would definitely paint a different picture. You know, because then is if somebody in your same age group that you knew that, sim- that almost had a similar lifestyle as you died of it, then that puts me in like perspective that, hey, if they died of it and they're similar to my age, then maybe I could get it too. Exactly. That's why everyone's okay but not now because nobody, not people in their 20s, 30s are dying from it. It's more people that are 70s, higher than 70s. And those people know Smith is actually dying. They're the ones taking extra precautions. And that's what kind of humbles you as a nurse too, is like, because you're getting exposed to this daily. So literally sometimes you get out of work and you're grateful just because of the shit that you see. And you're just like, whoa, like there's people that have it bad right now, man. Like imagine the families that are only FaceTiming their, you know, like their, their loved ones while they're intubated. Like that's such a shitty position to be because you're at home and you can't do anything about it. You can't even hold your, you know, loved one's hand. So yeah, it really humbles you, man. And yeah, that's why social distancing and people aren't respecting it. They're just being stupid about it because they're not seeing the freaking deaths. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys went up on a little tangent here. I had to go back to comparing these uh, these pandemics. So we just, we're going to compare you know, COVID-19. We compare it with swine flu. Now move on to the Hong Kong flu. That Hong Kong flu started just like its name, Hong Kong. But some people think it started in different parts of China. It's just... It's labeled as a Hong Kong flu now. As you know, as years go on, you kind of, you know, get better at doing research and get better at finding out where these diseases started. Now they're looking towards someplace in China, but it's still called Hong Kong flu. So, so whatever Hong Kong flu it is, I guess. So basically, it happened in 1968. Um, there's actually two outbreaks. Well, after you know, that's so we think COVID-19 might have another another outbreak in the winter time or whatever, because the Hong Kong flu actually had two outbreaks. So it's like a double whammy almost. And the amount of people that died in 1968 to 1969 was roughly one to four people died of it globally. That's crazy. 1.4 million people died of it. That's insane. That, that's more than than uh, total outbreaks that we have of COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, we're only at 350,000 deaths. The thing about it, so we're not even halfway. There, we don't even have a half a million deaths. And if you look at even the recoveries, I mean, it's like a 96 percent um, recovery. So I mean, actually, I think it's, I think it's lower now. I think it's like in the 90s now, like low 90s. Okay. Or maybe even high 80s. Maybe I was meaning like deaths. Like deaths are like your chance of death is not that severe compared to operate or uh, recovery now. Yeah, but that of course that depends on your age group as well. But but yeah. You still hear me? I do hear you. I just took a break. I was trying, I actually don't know much about the Hong Kong uh, flu. You probably know more than me. So I mean, the majority of it, like. Like I said, it started in Hong Kong. So there's the, the main thing about the Hong Kong flu is that it was a lot deadlier than a lot of the other flus that we dealt with or pandemics. But the main thing is that there's two waves. The United States got affected the worst, the first wave. And then the, the second wave hit Europe, China the hardest. So that's basically all. I mean, it happened, what, like 40, 50 years ago. So, you know, it's been, been a while. But the two main things is that one to four million people died and it came in two waves. So that's why we got to be careful with COVID-19. If you let everybody in too quickly, you know, what's going to happen? You don't want to have a repeat of, of, the, of the Hong Kong flu, you know? Yeah, maybe so people it's not should... just like reopen everything. 
imagine if like we took time to just do like COVID parties right now so we could all just get immunity really quick. Like that'd be that'd be interesting because I mean, technically, I think like Switzerland, you know how like there was like a massive outbreak and they they didn't have a lockdown. They were kind of betting their money on herd immunity. Right. And these um, antigens would spread and cause like a herd immunity amongst most people that would protect them from like, a, you know, uh, symptomatic uh, cases. Yeah, personally, I wouldn't go that approach. Like, why would you want to expose like your country, your town, your city, your, your people to something that we're not really 100%, 100% about what, what it leads to? You know, that's, that's like a, a gamble, you know. But doing a lockdown scheme in the beginning, we weren't sure what to do. So nothing was really the right answer. It was just like a trial and error uh, basis. But what would have been interesting to see like a statistical standpoint, what if like half the country went on lockdown and half the country didn't go on lockdown at all? Like, you know, or keep like a one state or two states or three states as like your, uh, like a different sample. There were no variables. That would be pretty cool. So that would have to, you basically the states would have to have the power whether they could go on lockdown or not. And then that's when scientists could actually, you know, start collecting data to see what's actually more efficient. Cause you, you're not going to know, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what's yeah, messed. You, you can't compare the stats you have now to comparing United States that didn't go on lockdown at all. That's, it's impossible to to go about with with that kind of experience or with the kind of kind of um, with that calculation. If you would have left like a state or two or three, then you would have been able to make the comparison. But right now, you can't make the comparison at all. And that's what's messed up is what if they say lockdown is the best best weapon we have right now against COVID? Like, how do we know that we're not even comparing data? for states that were not locked down to see how, you know, how the outbreak was, you know, what's like the patient cases, deaths and all that. So, but it doesn't matter because if you don't think logically like that, basically you're just going to believe of what they say in a way like it. Yeah. Like that's why I love science, man, because science breaks it down for you and it's very binary. It's zeros and ones in your computer. I mean, not always there's theories and stuff like that, but I'm just saying when it comes to facts, like you could either say something's fact or it's biased. Exactly. That's, that's the beauty of it, where it's either like, like you said, it's fact or, or it's not fact. Like there's no like in between where maybe it's not like anywhere you go in this world, there's, there's gravity, right? It's not that you're going to go 30 miles south or 2000 miles south and not have gravity. Like, no, gravity is going to be there no matter what. It might affect you a little differently, but it's, it's what gravity is there. You know? Very good point. Very good point. I, I think we're good here with um, the information here. How has work been other than that before you wrap this up? I have not been at work in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah. When I go back, but work hasn't been hasn't been bad. I guess it's been it's been same. It's been literally the same thing since like April. The same shit over and over again. So you know, I don't, I don't I'm not doing travel nursing. I don't switch ICUs. I don't float. I'm in the same unit. Same coworkers. Same patients. What about you, man? It's, it's inter- interesting how you say it because that is true. You just got used to it. It's just like you go into work. Hopefully, you know you don't have compassion fatigue like we talk about. But you just come to work and you're doing the same thing anyway because it's just, yeah, it's just been COVID. People are tired of it. Physicians are like, can't wait for this shit to be over. And like one of our physicians, our intensivist was laughing that I went from freaking putting in A-lines every single shift to putting in chest tubes every single shift. Like mm-hmm. it's, it hasn't been like this, but because basically one of the patients that we have that are COVID, they got necrotizing pneumonia. Have you ever heard of that before? I heard of necrotizing fasciitis. Yeah, so, there's, so pneumonia that kind of spreads and just kills tissue. 
basically. And he had a um, emergent lung transplant, but he, he died. It's crazy, man. I've never heard of something like that. I don't know if he was COVID positive. I'm not saying it led to, you know, necrotizing pneumonia and lungs from COVID. He was COVID positive, but there's just a lot of patients that are like, dude, 50, 60 days on ECMO. And it's just like, man, it's just a slow game. It's just, you're going up one day, then you're going down. Now you're bleeding. Now your clotting factors are shit. And it's like, dude, now the patient's um, body's getting weak and physical therapy and like, then they're getting pressure wounds. And it's like, it's just crazy how you're trying to keep these patients alive, but the longer they are there, there's just more and more complications that's happening. Then the circuit is freaking, you know, clogged in ECMO and now the patient's kidneys are going to shit. So they need CRT. Like I'm just spitting random things that I'm just hearing nonstop. It's like, it's, it's messed up, man. I, I'm seeing the worst of the worst. So I'm like, yeah, COVID is bad. It's killer for sure. Like we have a, we have an ICU nurse uh, that came from a different hospital and he's on ECMO right now, bro. 30 something, man. Nuts. Like 30 something year old. He was an ICU nurse at a freaking hospital, got COVID. And now he's getting ECMO. Like what? Like how did, how did, you know, his disease progress so quick? Did he have any contributing factors? You know how they are. They, they don't really test too much, but they think he could have been pre-diabetic or, you know, hypertension probably that everybody has. So I'm yeah, I'm not sure what else, you know, like who knows his lifestyle. Maybe he's, one of those, you know, night shift nurses that just snack nonstop and, yeah, you know, just know. bad lifestyle, not working out, kids, no time, and mm-hmm. just caught it, bad genetics, and bam, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as humans, we're really, we're very um, resilient to disease. And, like, usually how we die is chronic, the chronic illnesses. We don't die a lot. A lot of us don't die of acute issues. It's usually chronic that kind of takes us out. And since we're really resilient, like sometimes you get the individual that's like in his 50s, 60s with no medical history. But guess what? This guy was actually really sick. Like this guy was like full blown diabetes, full blown heart failure. But guess what? He hasn't been in a hospital, never came in, never saw a doctor, maybe saw a doctor once 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Look how much, look how much he's changed. But since we're resilient individuals, like our bodies are very resilient to infection disease. Like, like I said, we could be sick and still function for a long time. So sometimes you get those patients that they, they look sick. Their labs are horrible, but guess what? He hasn't seen a doctor in 30, 40 years. So these are all considered new diagnoses, but really this guy for sure had this for a long time now. Yeah. And you make a good point. It's like having the um, ETOH patients that come in, you know, you have a patient that's in their forties and fifties that, you know, are yellow looking liver cirrhosis. He needs, you know, stomach taps because he keeps getting, um, what is it called? Para, he gets parasynthesis because he has fluid in his abdomen. Um, and then they're, you know, they're septic because they're, you know, um, basically the liver does so much, but long story short, you know, you're getting septic. You can't function so much high pressers. Oh my God. They're in their fifties and forties. Yeah. But that alcohol that they've been drinking daily caught up now. Yeah. Unreported. And they just caught up right now. And yes, that's why they're in their forties and fifties. Cause you have all these lifestyle modifications that they just never change and didn't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. And that's, that's where they come in for like an active procedure. You know, um, you know, when they went to the doctor, they didn't report that they're that they drink a lot of alcohol, like they, they look normal because you know, people that are alcoholics, they, they look normal, you know, they're they're just alcoholics. And guess what? Like you go for like a procedure, you know, you're in a hospital for four, five, five days, you know, you, you get extubated, they have, they have the surgery, and guess what? Next couple of days, you're alcohol withdrawal. This guy's fucking intubated, reintubated again. Why? Because dude was going alcohol withdrawal, we couldn't we couldn't control him, he stopped fucking breathing, you know. And then they, they, you're just like, oh shit, you know, like how, how would you have known? You wouldn't know. 
you know, you told you see these symptoms where, hey, what happens to them? Well, this symptoms are, they look like this and looks like alcohol withdrawal. So this guy for sure has serious alcohol abuse because there's no way he'd go into alcohol withdrawal if he just had one drink a month, you know, things like that. I'm actually looking at my reflection right now. Like there's a lot of patients that came in, you write for procedures. Alcohol was never mentioned and they went for a little procedure, ended up freaking being, you know, transferred to the ICU because they're, they're withdrawn. They're getting Ativan. Then they potentially could have got um, intubated. They've been, you know, sitting and sedated for too long. Now they got pneumonia. And it just creates so many complications that one procedure could have led to him being bed bound for over half a year just from alcohol, man. Alcohol withdrawals. Well, now we know why all the alcohol shops are open during COVID, right? Because we, mm-hmm. we're trying to prevent those people from coming in because that shit happens so frequently. Dude, look at that, dude. They, they had us fooled. They had us fooled. They, they knew what they're doing, you know? Yeah, they opened over for that reason. So yeah, alcohol is a drug, guys. As as you know, man. Like it's fun. I consume it whenever I have a chance. But it's uh, if you abuse it, man, it's a killer. Yeah. And then you'll see us. There, guys, have it. A couple nurses. Alcohol is a drug. Be careful how much you drink and how often. And got got a comment for for um, what is it? What did you have done when you were a kid? um, Surgery. My appendix removed. Oh yeah, you're gonna come and get your appendix removed because you know it got infected or whatever. And next thing you know, you're in ICU for five days and alcohol withdrawal. Why? Because Stephen over here likes to drink more than he's rec- than one more than the um, FDA recommends. And more than and he's with me and Matt. And then more than he tells his doctor, oh, I have a drink a week. Uh huh. That week, mm-hmm. once a day. Yeah. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, you guys like this episode. Comment, subscribe if you guys want to hear something next. Let us know, and we'll chat with you guys soon. Peace. Have a good one, guys. Peace out.